0: Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com.
1: And turn with me, you ready for this, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 again. You thought we were going to chapter 6. Guys, this isn't November. What are you thinking? Back in chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to invite up my friend, Jordan's going to come up. Let's give it up for Jordan, as he's going to come lead us in the scripture reading this morning. Jordan's going to make his way up here, and as he is uh, headed up here, if you would stand with Jordan and I this morning for the reading of God's word out of Ephesians
0: 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish." Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together.
1: Father, we are thankful to be here gathered around you with expectation of you based on these incredible promises you've given us, Lord, you, you have called us here. It's not our idea to be here. You have saved our lives. You have made us your own special people, and we are here to proclaim that today as we gather around you, to know you, to seek what you have for our lives. So God, I pray that um, that would, would truly be the central focus of every person in this room. There's a lot of time that we're gonna have to spend this week, seven whole days ahead of us, but as we begin this week, and we have this this window of opportunity here in this hour, may you give us an ability by your grace to focus on what you want to say to us and the work you want to do in us and through us, and help us uh, really, God, um, be free of all the distractions in a time like this where you want to speak to us. So, God, we, we give you our attention. We come before you with expectation, and we ask Holy Spirit, come. God, would you speak to us? Jesus, would you be at the center of this time? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, uh, as the reference on the screen and the reading evidences, we have, uh, we are currently studying the book of Ephesians. This is a first century pastoral letter that, that Paul wrote as a pastor to a church there in modern day Turkey in Ephesus. Paul writes to this young church seeking to encourage them and we've been studying this letter which is inspired by God for our prophet. Um, and we've been in it for the better part of this year and at this rate, we'll see how long we're, we're, we're through it. Uh, we might be a, a two year series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're not in a rush, especially a, a book like this So dense like this, filled with so much helpful truth about who Jesus is and how that comes to bear in our lives. And so we are taking a nice, slow, scenic route through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Each section of Ephesians gives us insights specifically into our lives in Christ. That two word preposition is a really important one to hold on to and think about when you're studying Ephesians. It's used in Ephesians over and over and over again. Almost every other verse has some allusion to or principle about who, what it means to be in Jesus, like positioned in Him. And this is what Paul is unpacking. And every section kind of gives us a new insight, a new dimension of what life in Christ looks like. And well, in this section, we, we've spent the past two weeks exploring marriage in Christ. Right, that is like the obvious first um, uh, focus of a passage like this that we just read. Uh, a lot of things there about mainly how husbands are to love their wives. Um, and that's what we have here in Ephesians. The past couple of weeks, if you're interested, if you're kind of popping in here for the first time, you're interested in, in what we've studied, you can go back to our podcast and listen to it. Uh, but this morning, I got a different angle. Literally a different angle to look at Ephesians 5 from. And so last week was marriage in Christ. Here is what we're going to be looking at this morning and maybe the next few weeks. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about, check this out, solace in Christ. Solace in Christ. And by solace, I don't mean anything random and ambiguous. There's not like a hidden, that's like us, okay? Uh, We the people of solace. Us as a community in Christ. Did you know that according to Paul... That is really the focus of this section of Scripture. Paul says at the end of this passage, I'm, this whole time I've been giving you, you know, instructions and, and like, exhortations about how a husband should love his wife and a wife can, you know, can follow her husband. But Paul's like, but guess what? I'm talking about something completely different. This is a mystery, but this is actually a picture of a different relationship, right? This is a picture of Christ and who? And who? The church. The church. The church. This is the focus of this passage. Uh, almost every other verse, again, has some allusion to this other relationship. You know, when I think about Ephesians five twenty-two, it's it's a passage that has two uh, should be to thirty-three. It has this this whole section here. It's a passage that has insight into like a theology of two different things. You, you can spend like we did at least two weeks exploring what the Bible teaches about marriage, the marriage relationship, who to marry what marriage is, what it exists for, how a healthy marriage relationship functions. But you could also look at Ephesians 5, as we are going to, from a whole nother lens and see some theology and some insights into Christ and the church. In fact, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, is one of the, the main passages that most scholars and theologians will cite from when unpacking who or what this thing called the church the church is. I kind of naturally, this is natural, right? I don't know why I was going to say naturally, but I thought of this picture because that's natural to think of a picture like this. Um, I remember seeing this since I was a young kid. We looked at this a couple of months ago when we were talking about perspective in Christ. This is an old late 1800s German um, postcard. Is where this originally came from. It was entitled, My Wife, and my mother-in-law, and if you've seen this picture before, what you know about it is it's two images in one, right? I'm not sure if you could see the wife or the mother-in-law, or the wife and the mother-in-law. That's kind of the goal, but anyway, it's an optical illusion that's meant to blow your mind, okay? Nonetheless, it's an illustration of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 5 is like that. Uh, depending on how you look at it, you're ending up with a whole new understanding of something that God is trying to teach. You could look at Ephesians 5 from one angle, study marriage, look at another, and study the church. And so we really felt as we were praying and talking to our leadership here and exploring this passage that the Lord has some things to say to us about us. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice when God has some things to say to us? <laughs> about us. It's always worth listening to. It's always worth trusting in. It's always good news. And So for the next few weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time to explore what the Bible is teaching us about the church. Here's kind of a roadmap for where we plan to be in the next few weeks. This week, we're going to look at our identity. Who are we as the church? out of Ephesians 5. The week after, we're going to dive into our ministry. Like what has God called us to do and be about? What are we doing gathering here on a Sunday morning with bad weather in a middle school? What's happening? What are we doing? What is this all for? What's the thing that we're doing here? And then the week after, we'll look at our strategy. How has Jesus uniquely called us in this point in time at this point in history, as a church here in Boca to follow him. What does that look like? So that's a little roadmap for the days ahead. Here's what we're looking at today. Solist in Christ, part one. We're going to talk about our identity, or even better, um, if you're here today and you're not someone who would identify as a member of the church of Jesus, maybe you're here listening on. This would also be helpful for you to get what the Bible teaches on the identity of, again, this phrase, the church. Now, as you see that two-word phrase up there, the church, I would have you think about what sort of words or images or ideas even that you naturally associate with the church. What comes to mind when you hear those words, the church? Maybe you're like, I've been looking for a church. Or here I am, we're at Solus. Church, this, this is the church, what sort of things come to your head? Here's some of the most common, practical, or even natural ideas that come to people's minds when they hear the word church. Naturally, the first thing we tend to think of is a place. We don't necessarily think of middle schools, but we think of some place where the church is congregating and gathering. We have big church buildings, like, you I'll see you at the church later, all right? We'll, we'll be there, we'll be at the place. Another way that we might think about the church is another idea is we tend to think about the church as a program. Have you been to that church? How's their program? How's their kids' ministry? All right, how's it going? What kind of Yelp review would you leave for that church, that program? Like a service you attend, right? Another common way that we have kind of reduced, this is reductionist thinking, but we've reduced the church into this idea of the pastor. Well, who's the pastor? That's the church. Like the church is the pastor. The pastor is the church. So we make, we would say, too much of a member of the body of Christ. That's what we tend to do there. Another, and this is maybe circles back to the program idea, but a lot of us even subconsciously, and I can attest as someone who has started a church, people think this way. I'm not sure if you're wondering. People tend to think of the church as a product, as, as some sort of like business to, to, to exchange my life with and to consume a certain, you know, services kind of a thing. Um, now, for some of these things, we would say the church is not less than these things. Like, I'm very thankful today that the church is not less than a pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, like, I'm glad that's, that's true, okay? But if we're to understand the identity of the church, we're to see the church is so much more. Who we are as the church, who the church is, so much more than what we tend to reduce her to. And here in Ephesians 5, we get an insight into that. As Paul's describing the relationship between Christ and the church, we see that the church is not merely a place, a program, a pastor, or a product, but Ephesians 5 teaches that the church is a people, a community of people of which we are, hello, a local expression the church is not a building it's we've heard it said it's a body it's a community of people we see this all throughout the bible i love acts 20:28 20, this is one of like the most insightful ideas into the church this is the first ever pastors conference of all time and it, and the keynote speaker is the apostle paul like come on who got that guy booked that's a good one lead worshiper was like david crowder or something back then you know um i got to get up to date with my like worship leader references probably Anyway, the apostle, David Crowder was not alive in the first century. Uh, The apostle Paul was doing this elders leaders conference and check us out. It was happening on the beach of Miletus. So like first pastors conference ever, keynote speakers, the apostle Paul, where's it taking place on the beach? Okay. All inclusive sandals thing. It's awesome. All right. And Paul is speaking to these pastors and he's, and he's reminding them of what they've been called to. He's like charging them with what's ahead of them. And he wants them to think rightly about the church. The church doesn't exist for you and your selfish gain, pastors. The church is not about you at all, is what he's going to say. And here's what he says. He says, first of all, take heed to yourself. Check yourself. But also take heed to the flock. Look at the way he speaks about the church. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see this language about the church? This has nothing to do with a place, a pastor, a product, or a program. This is a unique people. And this is what Paul is writing about here in Ephesians 5, a special kind of people, a community of people. Now, what's interesting, let me say this, about the church that's described here in Ephesians 5, is as Paul is, remember this, Paul is writing to a church, to the church at Ephesus, But in these verses we read, as Paul is describing and and, and talking about the church, he's not talking about these people, the community of people, in a local, locational sense. This is really key. When he's talking about the church here, he's describing the church as a people in a more like universal, eternal sense. You following me? No? Okay, I got two head nods. This is going great. Let's move on to the next slide. In theology, there has been generally two distinctions that have been made to understand the church as a people. Scripture teaches two ideas about the church. There's what's often called the local church or the visible church. It's the church gathered. It's the church as we see it, soulless church. We are a local church, but we exist visibly as an expression of something invisible. Does that make sense? We exist of something universal and something, a community that's timeless, a a community that transcends cultures and time periods and the rises and fall of, falls of kingdoms, the rises and falls of pastors. We're talking about this community of people. As Paul describes, like the end of the age where Jesus is going to present this community to himself, like mind-blown moment. This is an epic, universal community as well. And this is how Paul is speaking about it. You see this distinction made really beautifully. If you want to like get an idea of where you see this in the Bible other than Ephesians, that's, I mean, I could just probably end it here, that's a good example, the church at Ephesus, the universal church, but the book of Revelation really gets into this in a really cool way, which is, is a book about the end of all things that's to come, like the end of the world, you know, good morning, welcome to Solace, let's talk about the end of the world. Um, in the book of Revelation, Paul begins the first uh, in the beginning part of Revelation, chapters two and three. Paul writes to to seven historical local churches, churches like Ephesus and Thyatira, and Smyrna, and Pergamum, and Laodicea. He writes to these unique churches at a certain time and a certain point in history. But then you go a few chapters later, you get to chapter 7, and you you don't just see the local visible church, you see the universal church. Look at the beautiful display of what Paul's writing about even here in Ephesians 5. John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, here's a vision of the end of the age, and and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. This is going to be the kingdom of God. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The universal church, transcending culture, transcending time, transcending even the ability to number them. Uh, This numerous... Crowd of people. And this is again who Paul is describing here in Ephesians. Uh, when we think about our identity as a church, like we got to be careful, especially in the day and age of like church business where we're always trying to be the best church on the block and compete with that church. Like, there's none of that in heaven. Do we know this? There's one church of Jesus. There's the churches we see it, which is visible, those that come to church, I'm in the church. And then there's the true church of God. It's the way that Jesus sees it. He knows who's his church. And that's what we're headed for. And I think we would do ourselves well. I think every church, especially in our context, in our world, would do themselves well to understand first the theology of the church universal. Of who we are as a corporate, collective, multicultural, multidenominational people. Before we just zero in on how awesome sauce we are. All right? Okay. And that's what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians five. He's like fully describing in so many. Remember, it's it's and he's he's just an incredible writer. The literary approach he takes to give us a theology on who these people are, who we are, as this like forever community. And he takes the marriage relationship between a husband and wife to describe it. That's amazing. Okay, Uh, it's as if God inspired this book. He did. He gives a few descriptions. The first thing he teaches us, and you can jot this down, is, is Paul says that this community, he describes this community, this universal, eternal community, as a saved people. That's the first thing he said. Like, here are the descriptors of who the church is. Before, there's cool logos and Instagram accounts and stuff. Like, there's, there's this people, and they're a saved people. This is the church, a saved people. He, he says here, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now, here it is, as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the, what? Savior of the body. Wow. Who are we first? Paul would say we are a people um, that are marked by the rescuing, saving work of Jesus. That's who we are. And and every every description he's going to give about the church, this is really cool, is, is like who we are is fully wrapped up in who Jesus is. That's who we are. Like, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to understand what he's done for us and who we are in him. And so that, that's what Paul's gonna do. He's like, let me tell you about who you are. And it's all wrapped up in, who, in your relationship with Jesus. And the first thing he says about our relationship with Jesus is when we see Jesus as the church, when we relate to him, we're relating to a savior. Amen? A savior. Is Jesus your savior? Have you thought about that lately? Jesus, you've saved me. You're a savior. But you're my savior. You saved me. This is the first thing that Paul gives us. The church is this saved people. Now, specifically, Paul's been unpacking this in Ephesians. Like, Ephesians is, a, is an exploration of the salvation of Jesus in the lives of people. And he's taught us already in Ephesians 2 what this salvation means and what it actually looks like. Because like, like, salvation, the idea of like being saved, it obviously has to include some circumstance of peril, Right? right? Like, I was in California a couple weeks ago with Judah, and I needed salvation. I was surfing, number one, okay? Don't do that that much, okay? Let alone in California. And then driving back from the beach from our surf, after losing my big, I was like, I don't know, it's like a cool surf spot, and I was out there with one of those big Costco boards, like, hey, guys, here to, here to shred. And no leash, board goes in, I was, this is bad. And then on the way back, I, we had an electric bike that we, we got hooked up with that took us down to the beach and and you know in California there's these things they're called hills and they go up <laughs> and they go down and they go up again, usually they go up again that 's the hardest part and the I got this e bike it was a, it was like totally calm. It was like hey you could use, but it the battery was fully dead on this thing, and i didn 't pay attention to that, you know it's my fault. Um, and so this thing, I'm pedaling up the hills of San Clemente, California with Judah on the back of this thing. With this, and then there came a point where I just said, I'm in peril, okay? I'm in peril. I pulled over to the side of the road, I called my friend Eric, and he came and rescued me in his Tacoma. All right. That's the nature of salvation. Salvation warrants a circumstance of peril. Were you and I in a circumstance of peril? apart from Jesus, is it possible that you could be in a circumstance of, of peril where you need more than what you can do? You need intervention. You need salvation. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. This is what the gospel teaches. Paul's unpacked this. Ephesians 2, he describes the situation. He's like, here's what's happened in our lives through the salvation of Jesus. He says, and you he made alive. Here's where we were. We were dead. This is the peril. Through sin and separation, we found ourselves in a, in a state of spiritual deadness in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Paul says, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That, that's a mouthful, maybe even an earful, but here... What Paul is describing is the peril we were in apart from Jesus because of our own willful disobedience. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin has led to a separation between us and God, and that sin has left us spiritually dead with no ability to revive ourselves. Positioned under the, the, the just and the, and the faithful justice of God to punish iniquity, But God, this is where the gospel comes in like a cool breeze who is rich in mercy. Paul's taught us this. Because of his great love with which he loved us, here's the good news of the gospel. The peril is not the end of the story. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what God has done. He's made us alive. He makes us alive. He saves us from the deadness and makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up together he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved. Anyone thankful for grace this morning? If it wasn't for grace, where would we be? If it wasn't for the goodness of God, who's rich in mercy and love, he made a way when there was no way. And we couldn't, in our drowning state, swim ourselves to shore. He showed up to save us all by grace, all through faith. It's nothing that we boast in. Don't, if you're like new to this church thing or you're confused about this church thing, don't be confused about who's here. The church, contrary to what maybe has been communicated to you, is not a bunch of people who clean themselves up and save their own lives. The church is a community of people that have just recognized that Jesus can save better than anyone else. And that's an understatement. Jesus is Savior. And we've turned to him. And we are those, as Paul says, we're those that look at Jesus and we're like, he's the Savior. This is why Jesus came. He came to save us. And this is who we are as God's people. We are a saved people. And before I move on, I just have to share this first. This is what the Bible says in 1 Timothy, that it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our uh, Savior. Look at this. Who desires All men to be saved. This is his heart, man. That you wouldn't settle for your peril. And you wouldn't settle trying to be your own savior. But you would see the cross as not just something done in history, but something done for you. To save you. He desires all men, even you, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Amen? This is who the church is. Paul's like, this is who, this is who we are. We're, we're people that see Jesus as Savior. We're saved people. We're also, jot this down, we're a submitted people. This is interesting. And that takes like a spicy turn, doesn't it? A save, I like that. I could say glory, hallelujah, amen in the church all day long when we're like, Jesus saved me. It's like we're a submitted people. What? Hold on. Okay. This is a little tougher. So this is what Paul teaches about the church. He says, again, wives, submit to your own husbands. as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ, here it is, is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in the Lord, or in everything. What an interesting insight. Paul says that the church exists. Uh, We, as the people of God, like this is true of the church. We exist as a community of people who are submitted under, this is the church, we're people who are under The leadership and the headship of Jesus. This is the church. We're a people who who Jesus says, that the Bible says here that when Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the Father, he's exalted to the place of being head over all things through the church. Um, This is who we are. We're a people under the authority of Jesus. This is what this word head means. Jesus is the head of the church. Um, There's both a military and an anatomical idea here. So it's literally, the word there to, to be subject to Christ as the church, it literally means to, like, come under proper rank. It's like what I'm trying to teach my kids to do. It's like, I'm the drill sergeant, okay? <laughs> you're the private or whatever. All right? Like, it's coming under prop. I'm not a drill sergeant parent. Only when I need to be. But um, that's the idea of this word, that Christ is the head, meaning he is the ultimate authority, and we recognize that with how we live. We come under that authority. It's also an anatomical idea because, like, you're – your head is like the command center, check it out, of your whole body, right? I didn't prep that part, but um, <laughs> your head, that's where the worm comes from, okay, is your head. So um, this just got weird. All right. Are you uncomfortable? I am. Okay. Both of these illustrations about headship, listen, it ultimately communicates who calls the shots, who's in charge. Who has the say? Who says what goes and how? I mean, that's what it's talking about with Jesus, that he's this this leader. Now, I want you to see, uh, this is, by the way, like we saw that in Revelation, like all of these nations and people, the church, they're just like under the authority of Jesus and they're praising him. Um, And they're doing that willingly because he's the best leader there is. Okay, But I want you to notice what he says here. Like we just looked at this idea of Jesus being the Savior. What's interesting here is like, this is the context of our salvation here in Ephesians 5. So when Paul is talking about salvation here in Ephesians 5, he's like, we have been, the idea of Christ's headship is an implication of what we've been saved to. Think about this. The the, the concept is this, that apart from Jesus, we were lost in our own leadership of our own lives. We were the head. How has that gone for us? You look at the story of You look at the very beginning. The fall of man is rooted in this resistance to God's authority. Which God was calling us into partnership with him. And we said, you know what? No, God, we we don't like that you're the supreme leader. We want to be our own kings. We want to be our own authority. We want to determine the course of our lives. Instead of trusting what you have to say and where you're leading, this is the nature of what sin is. Instead of that, I'm going to seize my own autonomy and be led by myself. I'm going to self direct my life. I'm the head. I'm going to self define what's right or wrong. I'm going to self determine the results of my life. And what, um, anytime humanity tries to be God, this is the story of history, it just goes very wrong. Whenever we do that individually, like this isn't just like a kingdom's thing. This is like a personal thing. In fact, like the book of Isaiah says, this is what we all naturally have done. This is what we all have in common as humans. Is we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all sought to be our own leaders. And the gospel is, Jesus saves us from that. He saves us from the destruction of our own leadership and he saves us to his leadership. Here's how it says in 1 Peter, for we were all like sheep going astray, but we've now returned to the shepherd and the overseers, the overseer of our souls. Um, you know, the, the idea here is like, this is a leadership that the more you get to know Jesus, the more it's like, I want to follow you. Do you understand? Like maybe at first you're like, I have to follow you. I've, you want me to submit this to you. I'd rather do it my way, but this is your way or whatever, the, fill in the blank. But the more you get to know Jesus, you, you look back in your life and you're like, why didn't I submit more to him? He's the best leader. He, he's a shepherd. Psalm 23 says, who leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He has our best interests in mind. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us to to, to places of rest and refreshment. So this is what we've been saved to. We've been saved to his leadership. We've been saved from our own leadership, which might seem right to a man, but it ends in destruction. And this is how we're to function as the church. Like The church is a bunch of people who are like, Jesus is the best leader, and we're gonna follow him. We're gonna do that collectively. First of all, like, the church collectively um, has one central leader, and he's Jesus. He, in scripture, he's called the chief shepherd. Like, he's the senior, senior pastor. It's his church. And, and the best under shepherds are those that follow him well. So if a pastor is not following Jesus, he's really not leading people. It's about coming under his leadership. And he, it, so that must be true of the church. Like, so what we try to say here at Solus, we, like, back ourselves in a corner. And we're like, this is his church. He's got to be at the center. And you could sniff that out when that's not happening. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's actually made it, uh, in a good way, we kind of like are forced now to do everything to make that be true. And we want that to be true. Like we want that to be true. We believe the best case scenario is Jesus at the center of his church. It's his. He's the head. He's the leader. Uh, but this also, this needs to be true of our lives individually. This is not just like a collective thing. He's the head of the church. It's okay hey get that. Is this true of your life as the church individually? So, the question here is, what do you need to submit to him? What are you holding on to? Maybe just your life in general. Maybe your dreams in specific. Maybe your relationships. Maybe your... listen maybe your tears your grief your confusion your choices submit it to god here's what james 4:8 says i love this therefore submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you you know this we see the opposite of this in the garden don't we The opposite of this is resist God. And this is what happened in the very beginning. Instead of submitting to God, the natural tendency is that, God, i got to be the head of my own life. And, And what we end up doing is we end up fleeing from God usually, thinking we can. But you know what? I was thinking about this. You know what's amazing about God? Submit to God. Resist the devil. When we resist the devil, he flees from us. He's like, I can't touch that person. You know what's awesome about God? If you submit to the devil and resist God, did you know that God won't flee from you? He pursues you, sometimes like for the sake of your, like a submission hold. He loves you enough to get you to the point where you trust his leadership. And it might take time, it might take years, but that's his love pursuing you. That's his grace saying, I have something better and I'm not going anywhere. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit, God? And this is the grace of God. This is who he seeks for us to be. We're a saved people. We're a submitted people. Hope you got some more room there in your heart and notepad. Here we go. We're sanctified people. Now I got some good news coming right to you. Hot off the press. The church, who are we as a people? Well, we're this saved people. We're this submitted people to the leadership of God. We're also as the church... We are this special sanctified people. I don't know if you think about yourself that way. I don't know if you think about the church that that way. Like, I'm going to fellowship with the sanctified people of God this morning. The sanctified people. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself for her. Why did he give himself? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So Jesus has done for his church, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus describes here a work, Paul describes here rather a work that Jesus has done to make his people holy to sanctify them, which is to set them apart as holy. A Prior to Christ, a naturally sinful people, an unholy people with wrinkles and blemishes and all sorts of sins and, 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 and broken areas. And it's to these people that Paul says, Jesus has made them clean. He's made them holy. Now, when it comes to holiness, what this is talking about is your standing before God. And your, 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 uh, your standing before God and also your relationship to God. And, and Paul talks a lot about this in terms of our standing before him and our position and our holiness before him. And there's essentially, Paul would teach that there's two ways to pursue holiness before God. There's two ways to pursue holiness. You could pursue holiness through the law of God. Or you could pursue holiness through the love of God. Two ways. Most of us, we live trying to pursue holiness in our lives through the law of God. We, we try to keep enough rules, or tr- we try not to break too many. That's another way. Like, let me do the thou shalls, and let me avoid the thou shall nots. And if I can just keep myself obedient, if I can, then I can keep myself holy, then and, and sometimes we think about it in the terms of like I got to clean myself up because I've done a lot of sinning, so maybe I need to do more good things. Like I need to come to church to get some more brownie points. Like I know the setup team needs help. Like I better serve there. You should. But <laughs> we can tend to think in terms of the law of God. Here's how I can earn my way into into holiness. Um, and and sometimes the worst versions of this is is like either we are just trying to be perfect or we're, like or we try to. We do this thing where it's like, as long as I'm better than them, whoever them is, they could be sitting next to you, don't look at them, okay? It could be your neighbor. It could be like the most scummy person you can think of, like genuinely. And we, and we tend to do this comparison thing between us and them. We're like, well, I'm, okay, I think I'm more acceptable to God, therefore he must accept me over them. No, you're not. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, you know, you know what Paul says? Like, Paul says this in Romans 3. He says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified or made holy in his sight. For by, the, all we, here's where, we, where the law has led us. It's led us to know how much sin we have. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Like, can I tell you, like, Paul is the authority on this. He really is. Like, if anybody has, Paul has sought to live according to the law and be holy by keeping all the rules. Like, more than anyone, it's like, if being holy through the law was selling out stadiums, you know who Paul was. Paul's T. Swift, okay? Like, he's done it. He, he is like the cream of the crop. No one's done it like Paul. Paul says, like, you want to play the, the thing, like try to be good before God? He's like, in Philippians 3, he lists out his resume. And Paul's like, I've tried to climb that ladder, and it doesn't reach to heaven. It doesn't reach holiness. It reaches a superficial holiness. It reaches a self-righteousness. That's the law of God. The truth of the law is it reveals our sinfulness. And so here in Ephesians 5, Paul's like, I know another way to be holy. I've got another way for mankind to be holy before God. And it's not by the means of the law of God, it's through the love of God. Wow. And until you know how unholy you really are and how much you fall short, this isn't really good news. <laughs> it's news. But when you see and you experience what it's like to try to measure up and to continue to fall short, this is where the love of God is everything. And that's what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 5. He's like, the love of God has done what the law of God could never do. The love of God in Christ has done for you and I what the law of God could never do. Here's what the love of God did. The love of God motivated the heart of God. To send his son Jesus, and it says it here in Ephesians 5, to give himself up for us in his love. The, the word there, give himself up, literally means to trade places with us. To go to the cross as the only one who is holy, and to willingly take upon himself your and my sin. To, take up, to trade places with us. He gave himself for us. To take the punishment and the position of our sins so that he could gift us. His perfect righteousness. And this is what Paul is saying here about the church. This is who the church is. We're a people that through the love of God, listen, are clean as our present reality. And listen, you are holy as a certain future. This is your certain future. Like he talks about this in two cents. He's like, justification right now. I don't know how you feel about yourself, but if you are in Jesus, you're holy. It's hard to feel that way, isn't it? This is how God sees you. Because the work of Jesus is sufficient to make you holy. It's not Jesus plus a little bit of your help. You know what I'm saying? It's Jesus and what he's accomplished. That's what makes us clean. What can wash away my sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's always been the blood of Jesus. It will always be the blood of Jesus that makes you clean. And I love that Paul also says this is a future reality for us. He's like, there's a day coming where, like, whether you like it or not, church, you will be presented to Jesus as holy. It's coming. Whether you like it or not, he will present you in Christ, beautiful before him. I know you don't feel that way. I know what you see mostly is your sin, but for every look you take at your sin, you need to take eight looks at your Savior, amen? And see who he is, and see what he's done, and see who he calls you. All right, we're wrapping up here. Look at this. We also see that we're a special people. We're a special people. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Here's the next insight into the church. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. I love this. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body. That's awesome. And of his flesh... And of his bones. Wow. Um, Paul, obviously, again, he's illustrating the marriage relationship. And he's saying that it's a mirror of our relationship with Christ. That Just as a husband and wife are one. And therefore, like the way that if a husband's loving his wife, it's like this mystery. Of, like because they're one, he's like loving himself, you know, like you're one. And, and Paul's saying this is actually ultimately a, a, a picture of how Jesus loves the church. Uh, The the idea here is that, notice this, that Jesus, when he sees the church, he sees a people that he, the two words there are, he nourishes and cherishes. Like, Isn't that cool to think about how Jesus feels about the church? This is how he feels about us. Isn't that good news? Like This morning, you're like, I don't really know how Jesus feels about me. I could tell you, when he sees his bride, he sees a people that he cherishes, loves, and he takes care of. He nourishes. In fact, what, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus actually gives special care and attention to the church. Like as any husband should, like as a husband, that's your primary responsibility is to care for your wife and to prioritize her. This is Jesus. I love that. We are a special people, you know, aren't we, right? <laughs> to Jesus, we're a special people. And, and let me remind you why we're a special people. You know, something being special is relative to its owner, isn't it? That's why you think your kids are the most special. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they might be. They might be. But mine are. Because they're mine. Right. You with me? And um, so, so if it belongs to you, it has special value. And this is what the Bible says about the church. The church is a special people because of who they belong to. We are his own. Titus says that we are his own special people. And this is what Jesus wants to remind us this morning as the people of God. I'm not sure what you walked in here with today, if your head was hanging low or high. And I hope that if you came in here with that state, I hope maybe the recognition today was it was because of your focus being on yourself. Maybe you come in here and you're like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here this morning. I don't know, halfway excited to be here, I guess. Um, wrestling through some things. But mostly maybe you're like, I don't have Jesus at the center of whatever it is I'm going through. I don't have him at the center of my mind. And that's the prayers as we look at this today that you're encouraged to be reminded that Jesus, he has special care and attention for his people. He sees you today. He tells you not to worry because he's watching over your life. And he knows what you're going through. And he's not surprised. And he's with you. And he doesn't just care in some superficial, like, you know what I mean, platitude way. He, he cares not just with heart, but he cares with his hand. He, comes to, he wants to care for you. He says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. And this is who Jesus is to his church. Um, it's the one thing that Jesus promised that he was going to build. Can we remind ourselves of this? It's Matthew 16. He's like, Peter... You're all right, all right? But on this rock of who I am, I will build my church. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's up to. This is his focus. This is what he's prioritizing in the world, right? He doesn't say, you know, I'm going to build your business. I will build your business, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against your Etsy shop, you know? He doesn't say, I'm going to build your career. I'm going to build your dream home. I'm going to build your country. I'm going to build... He says, I'm building my church. And that should be the encouragement to us this morning. So let's pray together. We'll invite the band out and then we'll close here. Lord, we come to you this morning and we're thankful for these great reminders of who we are in you. God, certainly not who we would be in and of ourselves. We're reminded of that today. We're reminded of who we are apart from you. But today we can rejoice, Lord, because of who we are both individually and collectively in you. And we, we give you all the glory for that. We recognize what, what Peter says, that God, we were once not a people. But you have made us your people. And there is no better community or place to be in today than the church to glory in your salvation, to submit to your leadership, to trust that you have made us holy through Jesus, to recognize that you give special attention to care for us. May we surrender to that even now. May we come under your leadership, leading us to still waters, trusting who you are. Pray now even in this time of reflection that God, you would take these truths that have been sown on our hearts from your word and we pray that they would take some root now as we sit in your presence and talk to you. Pray this in Jesus' name.